0: Well, the Lord is good. How's everybody doing today? Thank you, Lord. Well, let's get into some word, if you're ready for it. Hate to go to a restaurant and not get any food. Don't wanna come to church and not get your, your faith fed. Right? So we've got some food today. Amen. Welcome those watching in California, Arizona, Pennsylvania, the Philippines, Oregon, and Wyoming, among others. We're glad. We know there are many, but those are the ones we know about. Hey. Glad you're tuning in. Get out your Bible. Don't be lazy. Participate. Get the most out of this that you can. All right, if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, if you're new with us, don't know what Matthew is or or 28 is, uh, then uh, find it if you can, use your phone. If not, listen the best you can, and God will speak to you today. I'm in a series, been teaching for a while, a series called In Control. In Control. We need to know who's in charge. Uh, Not only who's in charge, I mean, there's a position of course, the Lord's on the throne, and we willingly yield and submit to him. But who controls what happens in our lives? And you'll find that some of that uh, is, is God's part, and some of it's our part. All right? It's not all God. It, it, some of it is directly connected to what we do with what he has given us, how we respond to what he says. And so at the end, we, I mean, no, no matter what happens, good or bad, we're not blaming the Lord. We're giving him the credit for every good thing. But the Lord is sending you no evil. He really is not. He has no desire to, he can't be tempted with evil. He doesn't tempt or test anyone else with evil, right? So it's easy, it's an easy discernment to know what's of the Lord and what's not. But what we need to do is recognize our role in this life and what happens. Matthew 28, where we've been starting each week, won't hurt us to read it again. It says in verse 18 And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. All right, and so what we see here, one of the big components to this passage is the issue of delegated authority. Jesus said, it's all been given to me. And I'm sending you, or in other words, you take this authority and do what I want you to do. Go make disciples and so forth. Mark 16, he gives us even further information about what we are supposed to do. Uh, But we know that we have authority on earth because we have been given the right to use the name of Jesus. We, we, We taught on this uh, to some degree last week. I want to give you more along these lines today because when we act or when we speak uh, in that name, it is no longer just us who is doing the acting, who is doing the, the, the speaking, um, but it is God doing the work in us. It's God doing the work through us. Uh, we are acting in his place what Jesus would do if he were here in the flesh, we now do in his stead. That is what it means to do something in Jesus' name. Everybody with me? Okay. And so the proper, proper usage of that name is a complete game changer for us. If you know what is contained therein and you find out how and when you are to use it and use it at no other time, but in intentional ways, it will carry such tremendous power to transform the, your own life and the life of other people. Your prayer life will go through the roof. Your, 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 uh, your victorious living, you know, the right to rule and reign in life, as Romans 5 says, that will skyrocket when you know what's contained in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. You know, we sing songs about it, and that's fine. We should continue to sing songs about it, how it's beautiful and powerful and whatever the other verses are, wonderful. It's all true, but how many know that's not just designed to promote an emotional response within us and, oh, hmm, the name of Jesus. More than that, that's okay. I don't mean there's anything wrong with an emotional feeling about the Lord, but more than that, we understand what's being really communicated, and by the end of my teaching today, I think you'll be empowered even on a greater level. Whenever you say that name, you'll see, there'll be a, a weightiness to it. You know, there'll be some heavy, heavy, like here we go. And so, uh, and so let's get into this a little, little bit further, because again, when we use it right, great, great things happen. Now, one, one word that's used in second Corinthians five about us is the word ambassador, okay? Here's, here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, okay? Think about it for a moment that we, meaning anyone who's saved, that you are an ambassador of God, Okay, now uh, we understand that because we have ambassadors from our country that live in other lands, other countries, other nations have ambassadors that live in our land. They have, you know, hey, we have these shared embassy agreements and so forth. Um, when someone is an ambassador, they are a representative. They are carrying the wishes of their home country. They are not there for their own benefit, per se. They're not there for uh, establishing their own wishes, but they are carrying the agenda, the, 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 the policies, the, the principles of the ones who sent them. We understand how that works, okay? This is likewise true for a believer today. We are not here carrying our own message. It is not our purpose to say, okay, we've got this powerful name. I'm representing the Lord so I can do whatever I want. That's not the attitude we're to have with this is we are here to carry out the desires of our father or the king from the kingdom that which, which we represent. We're here to communicate what he's saying. We're here to bring his wishes uh, to pass in, in this land, because we are here. If you're a believer now, you're, you're a foreigner in this land, okay? We are, we are citizens of heaven, and our time on earth is temporary. We are passing through. So don't, don't dig your roots too deep. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I know they're natural countries we're a part of. We're we, in the United States of America. We're thankful for that and everything, but that's all temporary. You're not... <laughs> i mean don 't take this in any dis- disrespect whatsoever, because i don 't mean it that way, but it, at your mansion in heaven, there will not be an American flag flying out front. <laughs> and you can have one here that 's great you know we, we, but there it won 't be that, the thing that we 're a part of is much bigger than that it 's god 's eternal kingdom, and our spiritual uh foundation of our lives again, we are here bringing his message, and the language in this verse is awesome it 's powerful it says We're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. He says, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Okay, that speaks to me great urgency, intensity. It's why, um, you know, the way we do things around here with our salvation at the end of the service, I can't do a 30-second, hey, anybody want to receive Jesus? Okay, let's go home then. I can't do that and, and, and say that God was imploring people through me. I have to give it a little more and say, Lord, your heart, let it be my heart. Let's give some intensity to this because this is eternity we're talking about. And it is God pleading through us. Right. You know how I say sometimes we, we don't twist anyone's arm and we won't make anyone do anything. That's just because we can't, but we really want to. I really would like to twist some arms. <laughs> I'd really like to say, you know, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Jim Hockaday talk about when he was a kid, he, would, uh, he just got real fired up for the Lord, and he had something going, working in his life already as a young kid. He said he would get his friends uh, and neighbor kids and stuff in his garage and lock them in <laughs> so he could preach Jesus to them. And then sometimes he'd hold them down. (laughs) He'd physically restrain them. In essence, you're going to get saved whether you like it or not. (laughs) Now, we know it doesn't work that way. But when you have an urgency of God, it's like God is in me, making me do this. It feels like he's compelling me. It's like God is speaking through me. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what it means to be an ambassador. I'm carrying this message, and it is my job, my responsibility to get it out there. Yes. So it's not like a take it or leave it. It's come on, you guys. Amen. Amen. So our job then is to fill our heart with his message and then speak. That's when we speak in his name. And when you're an ambassador, the cool thing about that is, is we're backed by heaven, it's heaven's protection. It's heaven's resources. We are financed by our, our home country, not the country we live in. Yeah, if you've ever seen some, some of the U.S. embassies or have seen pictures of U.S. embassies around the world, sometimes you'll find that they are much nicer than the community they're, they're, they're surrounded by. It's like you go up to the fence, the gate, the wall, whatever, and inside of there, it's like, wow, this place is super nice. Why is that? Why is it better than what's around it? Because it's not influenced by the country it's in, it's influenced by the country it was sent from, yes. right? And that's our, our attitude. We are here representing the Lord, so whatever happens in the earth, meaning turmoil and, or economic downturn, all that, it's like, well, we don't want that but that's not to affect us we are to say in the middle of it I'm here representing the Lord so I'm doing this based on heaven's economy not the earthly economy yeah that will raise your faith just knowing I'm here representing him he's the one supplying my need so I'm probably going to look a little bit nicer than everyone around me meaning attitude uh, contentment, but even material blessings, even health, even uh, just the, the, our entire being is connected to where I come from, not where I'm temporarily abiding. Yes. Yeah. You walk with God long enough, you recognize these truths, your life will be better than those around you. Yes. That's right. You're an ambassador. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Now, because of this as well, we can see that um, if we're representing the Lord, any disrespect shown to God's people is taken personally by him. So if you come against an ambassador to our country in another land, you're, you're attacking our country. You're coming against the sovereign nation uh, of, of the United States. You don't want to do that. That's not a good idea. But as a child of God, when we are disrespected, God takes that personally. It's an insult to him. I say this not out of pride or anything, but just quoting the word. You don't really want to mess with me. You're going to hurt me? No, I'm not going to hurt you. You don't want to mess with me because of who I represent. And it's the same for you. We're on the same team, you know. It's the Lord told Abraham... When he made that covenant, he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Really? Someone does me well, you're going to, treat, you're going to help them. Yep, yeah, that's the way it works. God really takes this as we are part of his family. We're on his side, his team. We're here, his ambassadors. Say it out loud. I have, I have all of heaven, all of heaven backing, me backing me up. Praise God. Praise God. Amen now go over to Acts verse 19, uh, chapter 19 chapter 19. we're representing the Lord. we're here carrying out His wishes. His message is what fills our hearts, and the name of Jesus now used in this context will help us to know what works, what's powerful, what's effective. It is not Like I said to you before, I want to emphasize again, it's not just a memorized phrase that works. It's not just a, almost like a magic saying, I'll just say the name of Jesus over it. It it has to be much deeper than that, okay? In Acts 19, verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay, so that, that sounds like a strange way to say that. I mean, these there's seven of them. they got seven exorcists, and you would have to think the outcome is kind of a good thing. They're wanting to get evil spirits out of people. There's nothing wrong with that. But their methodology is interesting. They called on the name of, uh, or used the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Well, why even say it that way? Well, first of all, because there's more than one Jesus around. Right? In their day, in their culture, just like there are cultures today, there may be someone else possible, someone else here named Jesus. I've met people named Jesus or Jesus or, you know. But that was true of them even when Jesus was around probably why sometimes even they would say Jesus of Nazareth. But it's not like, it's this Jesus, not that Jesus. (laughs) But there's more to it than just the sound of J-E-S-U-S, as we would say it in our language, right? More than the sound of Yeshua. It's more than the, the formulation of those letters put together because these guys said, come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Something's fishy here already. It's like, Do you even know him? Do you even have a right to use that name? Sounds like you're borrowing language here. It's like sometimes you'd see Gentile people in Jesus' ministry saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we don't think anything of it, but that was language that belonged to to Israel, to the Jews. That wasn't language that belonged to everyone because Son of David, what's that? That's talking about his lineage. And Jesus being the son of David, that didn't mean mean anything to others, but they'd throw out this language because they heard it somewhere else. That's not what we do. Even as believers today, we are not just borrowing someone else's language. Give me the formula. Say it exactly like this. No, that's not how it works. It has to have have something behind it, the substance. The guts of this is I have a relationship with him. I know what his name means. I've been given the right to use it. These guys did this, and verse uh, uh, 14 goes on to say, Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered... And said, I don't know if they expected this, but the evil spirit spoke up and said, Jesus, I know. Maybe Jesus, I know. (laughs) And Paul, I know. I don't know what it sounded like. (laughs) But who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So one guy beat up seven guys. One person took out seven guys, beat them up so bad, took their clothes off, and they ran out naked and and, and all hurt. What happened? What caused that? What precipitated this encounter, this destructive force coming against them? Them borrowing a name. Them pretending that they could use the name of Jesus just like Paul did. Why would they say the one that Paul preaches? Obviously, they either saw or they had heard testimonies of Paul casting spirits out in Jesus' name. And they heard, that works. That causes demons to ah, freak out and to flee. So let's do the same thing. Now, I'm for this, this, this manner of thinking. I like to analyze things by, how, by their effectiveness. Does it work or does it not work? Does the way you do life and your relationship with God, does it produce results? If it does, tell me your story. Tell me what you say. Tell me how you pray. Tell me what you believe. Tell me what scriptures you use. That's a method. That's a prescription for success. At the same time, I learn from people who don't look, who, who it doesn't work for. If someone said, I've been standing on this and I'm still sick, I'm listening. Or I've been praying this way and I haven't seen any change. I'm listening. So what are you listening for? To Find out what doesn't work. I want to hear from you what you're doing that's not producing results so we can analyze it, compare it to the word of God and say, here's the adjustment that needs to, make, needs to be made for the outcome. So they saw Paul was getting success with this. Let's try it. But they missed the component. They set it mostly right. But they missed the inward relationship. They missed the revelation of what his name means and what it contains. And they thought it was just about saying it. It's not. It's about something much deeper, about something inward. And evil spirits, this is interesting from this passage, they know who you are if you know who you are. But if you don't know who you are, they don't know who you are. In other words, if you have no either right to use the name or any, bu- or any substance or revelation about the name, they don't give a rip about you because you're not a threat. In fact, you're just a target. They say, hey, let's go beat some people up. Who should we pick on? Well, let's get these seven guys who, who've been thrown around this name and they don't have a clue what it means. We can, we can mess them up all day long. Say, so I don't want to be mess upable. <laughs> I don't want to be a target. I need to say, well, if I know this, then if I really understand what we're talking about, then demons know who I am? I'd rather stay anonymous. No, you'd only rather stay anonymous if you're afraid of them. If you're afraid of them, you don't know what this means. You don't know the power in the name. Once you know the power, you know you have the right to use it, You could say all day long, bring it on. on. I don't care. What, they're going to attack me? I'm so scared. (laughs) (laughs) What? When you know what's contained in the name and the power you have to use it, you can be in the throne of your father instantly and get prayers answered. You can speak with authority and command demons to flee, and they will. They have no choice. But it works from those who know. It works for those who know what they have, they know who they are, they know what's contained in the name. Okay, so we'll say, well, what is contained in the name? Let me tell you. Let me give you a little more substance, a little more guts, if you will, to say in the name of Jesus, knowing that it's not the sound of J-E-S-U-S. It's what you know about that whom you're referring to, what you're speaking of when you say it. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he lived, we believe, about 33, 33 and a half years. The last three, three and a half years was ministry. Before that, he's carpentering and doing all that kind of stuff. Then he did ministry. And in his ministry, then, after he was filled with the Spirit, he would speak to fevers and they would leave. He'd calm storms. They would leave. He would... uh, He would cast out demons, and they would flee. They would would cry out, and they would... People were set free right and left. He obviously had authority. Why did he have authority? He had it because he was the last Adam. Adam originally had it, gave it up through the fall. But then Jesus came into the earth, not in the bloodline of of Adam from from a... a, an inheritance of the sin nature standpoint. That's where God bypassed Joseph, his natural father, and, and, and God put the seed inside of Mary. So Jesus came through without a sin nature. He was the last Adam. He operated in that original authority that Adam had, even to the degree that he could, on a temporary basis, lend it to others. To his disciples, to the 12, to the 70 others, he gave them authority. That wasn't permanent. It wasn't lasting. It was temporary for that time, but it was sufficient to heal the sick and to drive out demons and even raise the dead, okay? That was the authority that Jesus had while he was on the earth, and his name would do the trick, all right? Forgive the name, forgive the word trick. But the disciples came back saying, wow, wow, even demons are subject to us in your name, Right, So it was, it was sufficient. But later, his name took on a much greater significance than it did during that time. It, it meant much more, and it was permanent. And this is because of one event called the resurrection. At the resurrection, everything changed and got magnified times eternity. And his name... It was sufficient in his earthly ministry, but now the name that's given to us, even though the sound of it is the same, the substance behind the sound is magnified greatly. Let me read several verses to you. You don't have to turn to them. Just listen so I can somewhat quickly share this principle about this. Romans 1.4, speaking about Jesus, it says, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead notice the language declared to be the son of god with power by the resurrection from the dead when is he declared to be the son resurrection declared the son at the resurrection keep that in mind acts 13:33 god has fulfilled this for us their children in that he has raised up jesus what's that Resurrection, as it also is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. When was he begotten? At the resurrection. resurrection. So, this begotten is not the same as begotten in Bethlehem. Begotten meaning born. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was the only begotten son. When he was raised from the dead, he is in that context called begotten. He was begotten of God at the resurrection. So when we think he is the the only begotten son, we're going to Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. We're going to his physical birth. That's true. That's right. But when he was raised from the dead... It was magnified in a great way because it carried a greater weight now than it did before. Not only as the last Adam, but as the first son. Not just the son of God in the sense of physical birth, where he was the son of God, the son of man, the incarnate one, but now as the first of a brand new race, a brand new race of beings. Who's that? Those who are a new creation in Christ, a new species of being. When we get saved, we're part of something brand spanking new. Now listen to this. Hebrews 2 verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. How do you taste death for everyone? It's not just in a normal death. It's not just in a physical death. What Jesus did on the cross was not the same as the the guys on the right and left of him. You know, the criminals who were crucified with him. His death was not the same as their death, even though those watching might think, hey, there's three guys dying. Their death was a death, tasting death for themselves, His death was a death, tasting death for everyone. It it, it was so much more significant and more than physical. It was spiritual in nature. And and this is because we were not just troubled physically, but we had trouble in all realms, including the very guts. (laughs) I've been using that word guts, but I know it's gross. But spiritually, spiritually. I mean the root of it. I mean the source. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Adam and Eve were instructed, eat of everything, have at it, enjoy, go for it. Just stay away from that one tree, tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they were instructed that when they eat of it, it's Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the question goes, did they die that day? See, that's the right response. Well, it needs more explanation than a yes or no. They didn't die physically. They did die spiritually. The very moment they disobeyed God, their spirit was separated. They had distance between them and the Father. They became unrighteous. They were sinful. Yes, they died that day. It eventually resulted in physical death, and that death was passed along onto the whole human race. But in that moment, they didn't die. That's what Jesus came to fix. He didn't just come to fix our physical tr- troubles. He came to fix the root of the co- the root core, the root cause of, of death. He tasted death for everyone, and it was beyond observation. You couldn't physically be at the cross and see what was really happening. It was, the veil was pulled back later. That's why we have verses like this 2 Corinthians 5 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The one who knew no sin, that's Jesus, he was sinless. He became sin. Not he just took nails in his hands. Not he just took a beating. Not he just took a whipping. He literally became what we were so we could become what he was, meaning knowing no sin. It was a complete flip. He took our place. He tasted death for everyone, but Jesus became sin. Galatians 3.13 tells us Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus, what did he do? He became, the language is really strong here. He became a curse. He became sin. He became a curse. Why did this happen? Because that was the condition we were in. And this is why now, you put all these together, you see why Romans 8, for example, I think 29, tells us that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Or the, another one says the firstborn among many brethren. Is it correct to say Jesus is the only Son of God? Not anymore, it's not correct. When he was born physically, he was the only begotten Son. But now he's the first one. Say, well, are there more? Who are they? Good news, it's us. Male and female. It's not speaking of gender in this case. We are all sons of God. He was first. His first speaks of preeminence, speaks of of rights and privilege and so forth. But he was the first among many. And that's why he uh, is called, again, the, the firstborn. So his name then represents everything he did. When I say the name of Jesus, I am saying, with the knowledge of all, what all this represents, I, I'm, I have a mouthful. It's like, ah, I don't know if my mouth is large enough to say this. This contains all the redemptive work of Jesus. It contains everything he did. Now listen to Philippians 2 and verse 9. Therefore... Maybe you want to turn there if you have time. Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. When did he get that name? God has highly exalted him. This is at the resurrection. He was given a new name. Which name was it? Well, the same one he had before, but different. Different. It used to be Jesus, but now it's like Jesus. It used to represent a certain thing, and now it is that time's eternity. Like I said, now it is Jesus, and it contains within it his death, his taking our place, the curse. It contains all sin being put on him, and him defeating all of it on our behalf. When he came out of the grave, and he was the first among many, now when we use that name, guess what happens in the ranks of hell? It's called nightmares. When a person knows who they are, what they have, that they have a right to use the name of Jesus and what is contained therein, you send shockwaves throughout the regions of the damned. You send shockwaves throughout those who are trying to kill, steal, and destroy God's people. Because when you know, they know that you know. When you know, your words carry weight in the spirit. It's not, you're not a parrot. You're not having just learned the phrase. You're not just borrowing someone else's terms. You're not just saying, oh yeah, Paul, the one that Paul uses, that, that, that Jesus. No, you're saying this is the one I know. This is the one I love. This is the one who saved me. This is the one who bore my place on the cross. And I'm saying it, ready, ready? In Jesus' name. Oh, now, 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 now you carry power in your very mouth and you are God's authorized representative to carry out his will. And when you say it, it's the same as when Jesus were here and he would just cast things out. You're taking his place. Whoo! Verse 10. And that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. Amen. So his name is above every name. I don't know about you, but I like that. I can think of some names. Not only is his name above Mark, not only is his name above Bill, because of that, we willingly say, Jesus is Lord. We bow our name. He's above us. We enthrone him in our own lives. But everything else down here has a name. Every disease has a name. If they find a new one, they give it a name. If you've ever been diagnosed with something, find out the name. I mean, if you don't know, you can just call it pain or whatever. But uh, if it has a name, you can immediately say, wait a minute, I know a name that's above that name. I'm going to use the greater name, the the one that has the resurrection power behind it, and I'm going to supersede the name of that condition, that disease, that darkness, that despair, that that curse. I'm going to use the name of Jesus over it, and it's going to bow. It's going to be forced to bow, let alone any demon from hell. Amen. You don't always have to know their name. Jesus didn't always know the name of the demon. Sometimes it's just demon. Sometimes it's just Satan. Sometimes it's that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter but his, because the name of Jesus is above all of it. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so anything, poverty, sickness, depression, demons, they're all subject to that name. Amen. You telling me some demon from hell is more powerful than Jesus? You telling me some cancer is more powerful than the resurrected Christ? Not a chance. Amen. And we've been given the right to use the name. Amen. We're told to use it. So know what's in it. Know what's contained therein. Know that when you speak, <laughs> the whole backstory comes into play. It's like this name will change my circumstances. Amen. This name will cause demons to flee. Amen. Yes, it will. You, Amen. Amen. You could read further. I'm just giving you some of this. Read Ephesians 2 again, talking about how he is above everything else, every principality, power, and we've been given the right to use his name. That makes everything work for us. Makes your prayers work. Makes your commands of faith. It it, it makes these things uh, workable in our lives today. Amen. 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 Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us. Thank you for your life in us. Thank you for the wisdom of God. Thank you for the understanding of all that Jesus did for us in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension. And thank you that we've been sent out, commissioned by you as your ambassadors. We've been given the privilege, the right, the opportunity to use that precious